so Lance, you know, I gotta know. I gotta know all about it. Tell me about this butthole fly thing. It's still offensive, but I know it's coming. I don't want to talk. Todd, why do we have to keep bringing up the butthole fly? The people want to know. You seem infatuated with the dude's anuses. You're listening to The Tactical Big Top with ringleader Lance Abernathy, a former LEO and founder and chief designer at Sniper Bladeworks. Join Lance, Jag, and The Sideshow as we take a look at life from a tactical perspective. Check out the knives and gear at sniperbladeworks.com and on IG, YouTube, and the Facebook. I'm Lance, he's Jag, welcome to the circus. Today we're at Rainier Arms in Wichita with GW, uh, getting a quick tour of the facility, talking knives, talking guns, and all the other things that make us happy. Uh, GW, thanks for having us down. Tell us a little bit about your facility here. Well, at the Rainier Arms Farms Academy here in Wichita, we're on the east side of town. Uh, That's the growing part of the city, it seems. Uh, It's a 28,000 square foot facility. Uh, we have we sh- uh, inside that facility we have a pretty large showroom, but we have 28 firing lanes that are up to 25 uh, yards or 25 meters long, so 27.5 yards. Uh, they built that for federal law enforcement to be able to qualify on the range. A lot of people will build a 25 yard range, and then federal law enforcement has a, needs an extra couple yards to to do their business. I'm all familiar with the meter the, the versus the yards. <laughs> We've all been on. I'm our firearms instructor at work. Oh, okay. And Todd and I were both on federal task force at one time or another, so working for the G is always entertaining. Now I just have to do things a little different. Right. It's it's um, it, and I have a couple contracts here with them, so they can come in and train. You know, anytime I can get uh, anyone with LE in their um, in their background to train, it makes me happy inside. You know. Can you? Is it cool to tell us who you work with? Uh, we work with the uh, elements of the Par- Department of Homeland Security. We've got okay. several uh, local police departments that come in here and do their qualifications. They also come in here to do their low light stuff. We've had one complete department come in here to transition their guys over to uh, Red Dot Optic, and they used our range for the um, for the practical application of it. I'm excited to see more people go to Red Dot. That's because you're the same age I am. I think we <laughs> talked about this tired. on the last podcast. So, so I get out of the sheriff's department you know and I shot a lot of guns from that and SWAT team and doing other stuff so I you know I wasn't into it too much but then I started working at the gun store with one of my buddies just a day a week and I'm getting a pistol and they're like do you want it set up for a red dot and I'm like not really you know I just I don't know and then I started shooting theirs and I was like oh this is awesome especially because I'm going blind too and fewer focal planes to deal with. I just absolutely love it. Now, every gun I own either has a red dot or is set up for a red dot mm-hmm. or may get custom milled for a red dot, but I, I just think they're awesome. And I think that's cool that departments are going to that because, you know, sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get any kind of government entity or organization, law enforcement to change. And that's cool that you're actually seeing some of those guys do that. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of these departments will have um, organizational um, paralysis, right? Where they they just, we've always done it this way and that's the way we're going to do it. And I know a guy, a very well-respected firearms instructor on the East Coast that would 
just take a shit on anybody with a red dot sight on their gun, and he'll say, that gun won't be zeroed in, in the class. Right, and this was early in the red dot uh, applications, and he never really um, got over his uh, his prejudice towards that, right? And then uh, this last year, I went to his class and I happened to look in his holster. I'm like, "Holy sugar, man! There's a red dot on that pistol. Can you talk to me about it?" He goes, "I found one that would stay zero." Ah, uh, what did he? What did he end up picking? Uh, he's got a, um, a he had a hollow sun on a VP9. You know, a lot of people swear by those hollow suns. We sell them by the gross here. They're they're economical. They're uh, made well. Uh, a lot of people have to hang up because it's made with the sea, in the sea word. You know, it's made in China. Yeah. But um, I, I, like I we talked about half before, of them are though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you'll find that a lot of the great glass out there is um, is uh, glass from Asia and then assembled in the United States or um, more trade compliant friendly countries. Um, that's no, that, that's not gospel, but uh, that's from my experience. I like trade compliant friendly countries. I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I'm just waiting on Vietnam to become trade compliant. I think um, that would, that's gonna change the, the, the manufacturing, the textile manufacturing world completely. Um, uh, they make we uh, when I worked at Grey Ghost uh, Gear, um, we had some things, well, a lot of things made in uh, in uh, Vietnam in a uh, British MOD factory. So okay. there's a there was a British MOD factory there that uh, that was making their stuff, so it was easy for us to make ours. Right. So and the, what was really cool about that factory is we had a a, a, a British national that lived there. And he was the QAQC guy. So not only was he making sure that the, the, pro, the materials are right and the techniques were correct, but then your designs weren't walking out the back door. Dude, that's a big deal in China. Yeah, that's the reason why every rifle bag you see that's made in China all look the same. Yeah. With someone else's label on it. And there's some more of that going on where people don't care. They're like, a guy will come in and try to sell you your own brand name stuff or a, a, a product that has your brand on it. But it's really someone else's design. They just put your label on. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I don't know. We we've tried to avoid that. I think that's one nice thing about our manufacturer is just super squared away. Yeah. If you can, you know, someone who can control your QAQC and then guard your intellectual property, that's that's the thing right there, right? I mean, but you know, we talked about it before that uh, it's not um, one of those things that. Uh, uh, you only have X number of, of months to capitalize on any design before someone either does it better or copies it straight across. So, uh, gotta make head hay when the sun's out. Right. Well, back to our facility, you know, we have a, a premier product line on board. We have a, um, our trim level of firearms is above your big box store um, companies. Uh, we have a great uh, relationship with the big box stores that are around us, Academy Sports and Cabela's and those guys. They refer people to us if they can't help them. Uh, they'll refer people to us when they, that person needs a help zeroing their optic or mounting an optic or any of those things that, that those big box stores can't handle. They're, they're more than, uh, they're, it's very likely that they'll recommend them to come see us. And that's, that's a feather off or a feather in the hat for us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's nice when there's some cooperation there amongst the folks. 
and I don't carry guns they carry, right? I don't have hunting rifles. I don't have goose guns and all the other things that those 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 companies have. Um, we we focus on a very practical shooting application and uh, self defense orientation and uh, a more of a tactical uh, uh, mindset where our, where our rifle selection is concerned. Right. And I wanted to ask about that. You also um, do training here at yes, Rainier Arms. You have the Firearms Academy. What type of training do you offer? We do soup to nuts uh, training. We, we'll, we'll teach you to recognize a firearm two out of three times, and then we'll teach you how to uh, move, shoot, and communicate in a team environment. So all that goes across. So we've had people come in the door as, as uh, recent as Thursday or uh, Wednesday night where they came in and says, I've never touched a firearm before, but I'm here to learn. So we offer organized classes for that type of client, but the, uh, we also have one-on-one -on -one personal training. So like personal training you would get at a gym or at a tennis club or something like that, we offer that as well. Nice. Just come in and get a private lesson. Yep, it's inexpensive. Catered so. to whatever they need. Yep, and exactly. You tell the, the trainer where you want to be at the end of this lesson, and they fight with you to get there, right? And uh, sometimes it may take two lessons based on, your, based on where you want to be and where you started at. But uh, for the most part, we're very, very, um, uh, very adept at uh, building people's uh, uh, knowledge and uh, experience. One of the things we found during COVID is that I had uh, a lot of baby boomers in here. Oh, wow. I mean, there was, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'd walk out of my office and my trainers are talking to octogenarians standing there wondering how to, how to use their Smith & Wesson M&P. Um, because they were very, very, very concerned with their safety. Right. And uh, they've never, and, they, and I can't tell you how many times I had people say, I've never had to worry about that before in my whole life until, until now. And it really is uh, uh, disheartening that the, the person at that stage in their life had to, had to make the mental switch in their head from existing in, a, uh, in an environment that was permissive to understanding that they're not safe. Right? Yeah. Yep. That's kind of crazy, but it is it is true. It, it was a weird time. The world we live in. Um, so Rainier out west, mm -hmm. it's in Auburn. It is. Is that a suburb of Seattle or Tacoma? It's south of Seattle. It's, um, it's it, yeah, if you drew a triangle between Tacoma, Seattle, and Auburn, it would be a perfect triangle. Okay. So it's about 15 miles away from uh, Tacoma and about 18 miles away from uh, Seattle. Um, it's to the to the east of Seattle and to the uh, northeast of Tacoma. So, and do they do training there as well? They don't. Uh, what we have there is our, our company headquarters, and we have a, a showroom that's probably twice the size of the room you're sitting in now. So it's pretty small, um, but that's where it all started, right? Right. That's, that was another question. Is when Rainier started, how big a company was it? What did they start with? Well, John's been my customer. Um, the, the owner of, uh, of Rainier Arms was my customer since 2005. Okay. Right? So uh, he was my customer when I was, at, I was with uh, Tactical Taylor and then on to Grey Ghost. And then uh, when it became time for me to move on, I knew one person that I would trust to work for, and it was him. He developed this company out of, like a lot of entrepreneurs, out of the basement of his home. And uh, he tells a story that, uh, that, you know, he liked guns and he wanted to know how to afford them. So no. he'd buy three things, sell two, and keep one. Right. Right? So that's the way he would do that. And just, you know, he's packing boxes on at night and on the weekends, and then finally he got to the point where he's like, I need to pack boxes full-time, and I need to buy a product full-time. And then Rainy Arms was, uh, was born out of that. Ah. Well, that's how 
we kind of got started with knives. Buy three, sell two. Yeah. Or watches or anything yeah. else. I do that with guns still today. Yep. Well, I, man, I buy a lot of guns and I work here, which is pretty <laughs> crazy. So you would think that I would get used to, I would, I would be willing to uh, not do that. But there's some things I just got to have. I hear you. That's what I tell Mrs. Sniper. I'm like, I have to immerse myself in this tactical lifestyle, honey, it's for work. Right. It's important. Well, I'm pretty lucky that uh, there's a lot of firearms uh, manufacturers that understand that if it's on my hip and my guy's hip, that it's more likely to sell to the customer. Right. So right. Well. Yep. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background before Rainier Arms or Tactical Taylor. Well, Where I grew, are you from? Well, you know, I grew up in a little, a little town called Radford, Virginia on the New River in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And uh, I lived there until 1984 when I joined the United States Army. And then uh, I lived all over the world with the Army for 22 years uh, to include a deployment to Iraq uh, with the Striker Brigade out of Fort Lewis, Washington. And that's where I retired from at Fort Lewis. Okay. What did you do in the Army? I was a 19 Delta Reconnaissance Specialist, a Cavalry Scout. Okay, cool. Did they do, uh, is that similar to air cab different I, I was in an air cab unit for a while so yeah. just like Robert Duvall from Apocalypse well, Now or Ish yeah well not quite that well honestly I had pilots when I was in that unit senior warrant officers that flew OH6's the, 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 the egg helicopter you know the observation helicopters and they flew in those units there and <laughs> um, they would tell you like a lot of that is pretty much how it went down you know and the, those helicopters crashed really well, they would say. <laughs> Our boss, when I first went to the detective unit, was a door gunner in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. He was from the air cab. And he was awesome, just really cool, really calm. Never got spun up about anything. Yep. Um, but yeah, he was talking about, along with having a few germ issues, I'm not a big f fan of flying. I think mm -hmm. it's a control thing. Sure. And the DEA got me fairly close to getting killed in a plane wreck once also, which didn't help after that. Um, oh, my gosh. But he was saying, he's like, yeah, we were shot down 11 times. We were asking him questions. He's like, but only three of them were really serious. And I'm thinking, anytime you land unscheduled, it seems really serious to me. But I asked him about the apocalypse now thing. I'm like, did you guys play music like that? And he's like, no, we didn't play it over loudspeakers. But he said, during firefights, they pumped bagpipe music through the the headsets and it was whatever Custer's favorite song was Glenn. That was Gary Owen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah he said I'm like could you talk back and forth much when that was going on? He's like not really but it was cool. So I thought okay that's that's kind of apocalypse now-ish. So yeah he was a good dude. Yeah. So yeah my experience with the air cap was uh, pretty unique and I had uh, uh, I have a story where we almost crashed in the oxidation ponds outside of El Paso, Texas. And, uh, yeah. So I was a young sergeant, and I had a fire team, and they picked us up in the middle of the desert, and they were flying us back in this Huey. And the, the, the pilot in charge was a, a, a guy we called Sasquatch because he was a giant fellow. He was a, he was a chief warrant officer and a Vietnam War veteran, and one of the nicest, calmest guys you ever be. I mean, he would have to squeeze himself into the this, this seat of the aircraft, and the person flying the helicopter was a first lieutenant, you know, they wanted him to fly so he could get the experience, and Sasquatch didn't need the experience. He's probably had, you know, five-digit hours in, in that, that airframe. Right. And 
we're flying along and I had a compression stall. I didn't even know what that was at that time, but that's when you know, like the uh, the jet engine takes a hiccup. Okay, I guess <laughs> it's a religious experience. If you ever been in a helicopter, that happens. You get God. You learn who God is real quick. And I remember looking out the door. First thing I did is I look at the crew chief, and if he's worried, I start to get worried. And he's got the he's his knuckles are white on the on the side of the door. And I was like, this is not good. And we're falling out of the sky. And that lieutenant is fighting the aircraft and is doing whatever he wants to do at this point. And I look out the fucking door, and guess what I see? The damn shit plant for El Paso, right? So the oxidation ponds oh. for the water treatment plant that is right there. And we're killed. flying, we're oh. falling towards I'm like, damn, I'm going to die in the shit plant. That's going <laughs> to happen to me. That's going to be the footnote of my life, right? Oh. <laughs> and then I hear on the headset... Sasquatch just looks over at the lieutenant and he goes, I have the controls. As calm as you could be. And as soon as the lieutenant saw him touch those controls, he went like that. You know, he took his hands off like he'd been burnt. And the helicopter stopped doing what it wouldn't what it wanted to do and did what he wanted it to do. And we glided in and the engine caught up and we flew back. And uh, the, the SOP at the time was we fly into the FARP, the refueling area, and then everybody had to deplane so in case the bird caught on fire. You know, you wouldn't be trapped in there. So we deplane. I tell my guys, get all your shit off the, off the bird. We're walking back. Yeah, I'm getting back on this. And then uh, <laughs> I remember uh, Sasquatch pulls the window back and he looks at me. He goes, where are you going? I said, I'm walking back. And he's like, why? I'm saying, we got here safe, but I'm not going to chance the rest of this ride. <laughs> he laughed and shut the, he goes, pussy, and shuts yeah. the. <laughs> no, I wouldn't get back on it either. Yeah, one of my first. Uh, times that I was on a helicopter it was a CH-46 and we were over mm-hmm. K-Bay and it was a Vietnam era 46 oh, yeah. so it was an older one I mean not that there's newer ones but uh, and I saw the crew chief lean into his headset and drag his toolbox his tool those canvas tool bags yep. drag that thing out from underneath the seat and he started walking around the helicopter and stop and tighten something up here tighten something up there and, and I had the same thought this is this is I'm I'm going to die in the sharks. They're gonna get me. <laughs> they say if uh, if it's not leaking hydraulic fluid, it's out. And that's all you smell <laughs> when you get on those forty sixes. It's it's yeah. nothing but hydraulic fluid. Oh, that's awesome. So you did twenty two years in the army. Yeah, I was I was teased by uh, uh, my spouse at the time that it, you know that was not smart enough to be able to. It took me twenty two years to get to twenty. So uh, <laughs> I was right at 20, and I filed my paperwork to uh, to retire. And then uh, the Army said, no, nah, we got this thing called the Global War on Terror. We're going to need you to hang around for a couple more years. So nah. I, was able to, I was able to deploy with a unit that I built from scratch, and that was very, very rewarding for me. Yeah, that would be awesome. Nice. All right, so tell us about opening up the facility here in, in Wichita and, and the move from out west. How did that go or how did that come about? Well, you know, we, we outgrew uh, the facility several times that we were at in Auburn. And then in the, the last time that we were in at Bursting Point, uh, our, our owner John's like, wow, I'm not sure I want to spend any more money in this area, right? Pretty expensive. And then uh, logistically it was uh, unsound because, you know, our goods that were coming to us had to travel all the way across the country. And then uh, our clients that would purchase a uh, product would have to travel all the way across the country. A great example is that uh, if you bought something from us we would, and you lived in Miami, it would be six days, maybe more, to get to you. 
now that we've moved to a central part of this uh, of the country, it's down to two to three days anywhere in, in, in the states, right? So it, it decreased the shipping costs, the shipping time, and it was better service for our client. Um, with the city of Wichita had the right building at the right time, right? Uh, uh, what we're finding is that uh, there's no shortage of people that, quality people that want to work here. Um, it was just an, it was an easy business decision for uh, our uh, owner to make. And, uh, and just to tell you what kind of organization we have, 90% um, of the personnel that were there in Washington State moved here. Oh, wow. 90%. And it's still happening. So that, that number might be bigger now. That's so, awesome. So, yeah, we've got one of the guys that's been with John for a long time just is selling his condo there in uh, the Seattle area, and he'll be here by the middle of this month, the middle of July, with his wife, and they'll buy a house here and, and probably pay cash for it based on what they made of the money on the, out there in Seattle. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are the people that came from their liking living in the Midwest? You know, uh, man, I've talked to all of them, and everybody has very similar stories as I do. Um, that the people are friendly, it's easy to live here. Uh, that tornado I saw a few months ago was a little unnerving. But um, I lived in, I lived in uh, Central Texas for a long time, and so me and tornadoes were pretty friendly at that point. But uh, the, 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 our people at the warehouse, they really like it here. There's a lot more freedom for them here. Yeah. Because their money goes along, but like they didn't adjust their wages from Seattle to to uh, Kansas, they kept the same wage earning uh, that they were earning. So they really they really are uh, stretched their dollar here. It's almost like getting a thirty percent raise when you move here. Yeah, and we talked about this earlier, but I think Wichita is a really neat area with their uh, the history of uh, aviation and aerospace and just all the manufacturing that, that either was done or is being done here. It's, it's a neat, it's a neat area. Yeah, there's, and I didn't realize it at the time, you know, but when you have, uh, not only you have the manufacturing of all of the uh, private aircraft that are flying in the world today, is pretty much made right here in the Wichita area. Right. You also have, you know, fuselages made of spirit that go into all the, uh, they're shipped to Seattle to be made out of airplanes at Boeing. Uh, or South Carolina, wherever they're sending them now because of, you know, Boeing moved some of that uh, infrastructure out of uh, Washington State, rightly so. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, the, the, the people here are well-educated, highly trained, motivated, and willing to work. That's, a, that's important. Yeah, I think, and I don't know how it compares to other parts of the country, but I think Midwest, it's, it's a nice area. I think it has a pretty good work ethic. People are fairly well-grounded here. Yeah, you know, and, and it's not only that. Um, they're, they're family-oriented here, right? Uh, Wichita's the biggest little town I've ever been around. Like, I can't, I've only been here a couple years, and I can't go to anywhere in the city without seeing a client or someone says, hey, Gino, how's it going? Like, some, and I feel embarrassed, like, I know who you are, but I can't remember your name. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's uh, why they all get called like chief or big guy, right? <laughs> hey, brother, how's it going? But uh, it's it's such a small town feel and such a big in a, in a metropolitan type area. Yeah. Um, one of the most exciting things that's happening to us as our we talked about a move from Washington to to Wichita. We're going to open up a uh, retail store in Oklahoma City. 
that's coming up. We're waiting on our permit, our last permit to start work. Nice. Right? And then as soon as we get that permit, our contractors are saying they'll have us in there by the end of the fall. I feel like Christmas is better. The timing's better for that. But uh, we're, we're excited to be able to, to, to uh, like ripples in a pond, right? Right. We're going to expand uh, the Rainier influence or the Rainier nation, as, as uh, Phil likes to call it. Yeah. And then what will the the Oklahoma City store do? Will it just be retail sales? Will they do training as well? Well, what we want to do there is we want to do, we want to start off with a retail store. And then if we can find a friendly outdoor or indoor range that allow us to train there, then we'll export our training program there as well. Okay. And we didn't uh, talk about this yet. We'll try and throw some pictures up, either Instagram or Facebook. But this facility is just gorgeous. I can't get over how nice it's laid out and how nicely appointed it is. Um, whoever helped do the design on this, just excellent job. Well, we were able to um, fall in on this facility. It was, uh, it was another facility before called Thunderbird. And the person who built this thing really had a vision for what, they, what, what nice was, right? Um, I think they got a little bit out over their skis. That this this uh, this area hadn't matured to the point where it is now, so there wasn't as much client here. We're still finding people in Wichita that don't know we're here, right? Huh. That's that's amazing to me. Um, that's the reason why we do things like uh, we sponsor holds at uh, major golf tournaments. Uh, we were uh, we were one of the major sponsors at the Wichita Open this year. Nice. Um, we are con- we went to the ladies' fair this year. I mean, a gun shop went to the ladies' fair. That was pretty risky business but you'd be was that well received was yeah totally we brought our um, we brought our ATV and put the machine gun on it everybody loved that when you do uh, we talked about private lessons earlier individual uh, instruction do you do more for ladies than men uh, I think it's a 50-50 split okay and a lot of times it'll come in together right and then uh, the guy figures out how much he doesn't know quicker than the lady does figures out what she doesn't know that one's always a little tough for him. Right. <laughs> and our guys are really good at massaging that, uh, keeping the fur down on a bunny's neck. So you can get a little rankled when you figure out you don't know as much as you think you do. And we've lost a client or two over that um, because we had to explain to what they were doing on our range was unsafe. And he's like, well, that's why I always did it. And he's in front of his wife, so his power base is starting to dwindle. So they just had to back off and let it go. So Pride's right. a bitch. Yeah, I just, I can't get over how nice this uh, facility is and just the space. It's just nice and open and well, the the signage is awesome, by the way, too. Well, you know, we were very fortunate to have some industry partners that that sunk some money into us. You know, we're a SIG elite dealer, so SIG built us out uh, with uh, uh, with, uh, point of sale stuff and all of the displays and the, and the signage that you see on the walls and our classrooms are full of uh, wall-to-ceiling SIG uh, uh, paraphernalia. The outside of the, the windows of the CEO and the COO's office is uh, skinned with uh, SIG oh, shooters. Oh, I saw that coming yeah. in. One of those uh, fifth group guys that we were talking about, he went to work for SIG. Oh, is that right? Here in the last, uh, I don't know, two, three years. That's cool. Yeah. That's a great company. That's uh, They can't do anything but win right now, right? Yeah. Everything they do is good. The rifle behind your head there is their, the new rifle for the United States Army. Yep. Well, the the 320 is pretty badass. Oh, it's the, you know, um, you. I thought Glock made the most modular handgun on the planet. 
No, the SIG 320 not, is killing it. Not compared to that. Yeah. Plus the trigger on it is good. I mean, I think all striker fire pistols are a little squishy, mm -hmm. but not real heavy. Uh, you know, not a ton of uh, slop in it or travel under tension. You know, it's fairly crisp. One, they're they're pretty ergonomic. I think right out of the box. I don't have great big hands, and that maybe, and I'm just whiny about that. So that may be why we put so much time into the knife handles. But I'm the same way when I pick up a pistol, and I don't dislike Glock, but it's not very ergonomic. Well, it, it's it was made by a company that made farm tools. Yep. Yeah. So, but that Sig was just yeah, just almost melts into your hand, and then you can get the Wilson Combat if you want. For sixty-five dollars, yeah. Poly eighty makes a uh, makes a, um, a, a a grip for it. As yeah, well. and they got that neat little shelf out there yeah. for your gas pedal support side, right? But not so giant. I put a gas pedal on mine for a minute, and then I'm like, all right, this is too much. I took it off. Uh, <laughs> but as I was working on my grip and kind of wanting something tactile to feel, it really it helped that. For sure. Lot. So yeah, I think Sig's got a lot of neat neat stuff going on. But it's not, it's not just SIG, you know. We have um, some uh, boutique -y, um, uh, partners, too. You know, we do a lot with Chris. Uh, we uh, Aero Precision, which is a West Coast-dominated um, brand. We do a ton with those guys. Um, Deadfoot Arm Armament, no one knows who they are, but uh, they make some of the uh, nicer, more boutique-y things. Sharps Brothers, some mm -hmm. of the most oh, unique the lowers. They do the the AK lowers, right? Sharps, yeah. Yes, and they also do that one that's got the skeleton magwell. I think that's really cool. It looks like a skeleton. Yeah. It's right. called the Jack. And then I they've got really the cool. the one that looks like a a pig as well. Yep. And then they also have one. Uh, the last one that, that I think is really cool is they did one that has like the shark's mouth that you painted on. They painted on A10s and oh yeah, right. and cobras. That's so it has that cool. nose art kind of feel. <clears throat> yeah, and there's a bunch I'm, I'm forgetting, and, and they're going to have to, they're just going to have to forgive me. Danger Close Armaments one. Right. L2, uh, L2D uh, does a lot of Glock parts. Now, oh, yeah, we kind of, you know, I kind of uh, talked about Glock being a, made by a company that does uh, farm implements, but man, did they revolutionize the, the, the firearms world with that, uh, that polymer lower, you know, and that, that. I like them. I mean, I just wish they were more ergonomic. You know, now, of course, I took mine. We, I, I bitch about Glocks, but we have five of us or four of us all bought Glock 45s. Sure. Because I like that profile, right? It's kind of Commander-esque in yeah. profile. But I immediately cut the back strap off and you know, probably voided the warranty and, and uh, epoxied a new one in there mm -hmm. and then played with the trigger. Um, That's but now the, I like it a lot. It's the great thing about the Glock is that you can make it yours. Yeah. You know, and, and that's uh, and industry really has embraced that that platform and made tons and tons and tons of accessories that go on that. Now my gunsmith winces a lot because you know everyone thinks they're a gunsmith now based on what they can find oh, on yeah. YouTube. Especially well, we if you, you know give somebody a Dremel. Yes. There you go. The Dremel will, will 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 solve some problems but cause a lot. I almost threw my Glock in just to see if one of your guys would look at it because I'd replace the trigger with that Timony. Okay. But it's light. You know, so I called my buddy Justin, that's one of those fifth group guys, and I'm like, hey, what trigger would you put in this? And he's like, the Timony. I'm like, would you would you carry that? He's like, oh, fuck it out. I'm like, well, maybe you would, but so then we put a Johnny Glock 
part in it as well, which made the break on it awesome, right? I mean, it feels like a 1911. There's almost oh, no play, and it up the pounded some. Okay. But the fact that I did it, I mean, I've never taken my Glock that far apart before, and I shot it in a class. I went through a USCCA instructor class. Okay. So I ran like 500 rounds through it in two days. So it ran, but I think I'd still feel better if a professional just took a look at it, you know, and, and I might carry it then. But right now I just, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to carry this. Well, I used to do a lot of work on my own guns too, but uh, I have the luxury now where I can walk in the building and look at my gunsmith and say, do you want me to work on it? And then you work on it, or you just start working on it now. <laughs> right. yeah, He's like, give me the parts. What do you feel like? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they you don't know. like to see me in the armory very often unless I'm telling them to take a day off. Back to your farm implement thing. Didn't the guy that start Ferrari make tractors? I think so. Yeah. They made farm tractors, which is... Yeah. When you think about how sexy that vehicle is compared to a tractor, that's pretty awesome. And, you know, my boss loves the Ferrari. Uh, that's, uh, that's his uh, exotic car of choice. Um, I think, um, and, and we like to think we have the, the Italian sports car uh, type of uh, cl- uh, client here. You know, they're, they're like F1 firearms, those skeletonized, anodized, beautiful firearms we have on the wall are some of the highest trim levels I've ever seen. Um, and then, you know, we have another guy that comes in here to buy, you know, uh, just a basic SIG MPX. He's going to uh, put in his truck just in case he runs up on some hostile farm animals or something where he's out in the... <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, we have a customer that went onto his farm, and there were people there robbing his farm as he was there, and he had to utilize his uh, farm Pers- to control the situation. Persuade them not to. Yeah, he, he asked them nicely. They, they complied. All right, we were talking with Phil earlier about TriggerCon, Mm -hmm. and I've heard of it. I've seen a clip or two about it. Sure. Tell us about how TriggerCon started, maybe just quickly, and then tell us more about what's happening with it now. Well, I was very fortunate to be um, in the very first TriggerCon, which was in the parking lot of of the gun store in Auburn. Okay. Right? And then uh, it morphed into something. Oh, I'm sorry. No, did you guys start TriggerCon? No, uh, no we didn't. Uh, well, Rainier did. Rain, that's a Rainier thing. Okay. I was the customer, or they were my customer at the time, and I came and I participated as a displaying customer. I did that for three or four years before I became a uh, uh, became a, 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 an employee of Rainier Arms. Uh, we we did. Uh, it, it had various uh, sizes, right? It went from a uh, parking lot event with like 10 vendors to you know a, a little larger event you know, maybe 30 or 40 and then the last event we had was in the Maiden Bower Center in Bellevue Washington which is the swanky part of, uh, of that area and uh, we had 120 vendors there nice you know so it was a, it was like a um, I, I like to call it NRA show light right but it was all the vendors you want to see you know, it's definitely better than SHOT Show because you don't have to step over the lady selling beef jerky and the guy making jewelry out of brass and then some dude doing taxidermy to find a firearms manufacturer you want to talk to. Yeah. They're all right there. And they're all, and all those those companies at the time were saving something to debut at TriggerCon. And that was, that was the importance of it, you know, because if you think about it, if you debut your product in January, you miss the buying season. Yes. Right? Right, so in January is when shot is. Yep. So why not have it in the fall so they can bring out stuff that'll be ready for the buying season? 
Yep. And that was a, a lot of our manufacturers really liked that. And then um, you know as the as the company moved into the Midwest, we started thinking about moving the show to the Midwest as well. So it only made sense for us to do that. And um, one of the things that uh, we wanted to do is in the last couple of years of TriggerCon in the Northwest, we had a hybrid show. We had one day outdoors and a live fire event. And we had two days in, in, in uh, um, uh, the Maidenbauer Center. It was more like a convention, right? So um, we talked to our vendors after our, the, the, the COVID times. You know, we went through the, you know, we went through the Great Plague. <laughs> and we came out on the other side and everybody's alive, thank goodness. The scandemic. And they told us that they wanted to do more live fire and less convention. So we decided to do all live fire this year because it's the first one here in the Midwest, right? And we got Flint Oaks um, um, Guntry Club, for lack of a better term. Uh, they're a hunting uh, organi- or a hunting facility. It's, I think it's like 6,000 or 7,000 acres of hunting out in uh, east of here on 400. And we're going to go out there, and we're going to have 50 shooting vendors on the spot. Nice. So people will be able to go out there, buy tickets online, go out there, sign their waiver, because everyone knows a lawyer, right? And then go on the range, shoot other people's ammo, test the latest firearms from the companies that you really want to talk to. Talk to the guys that are there that either developed and engineered the product or are the, as close as you can get to that from that company. So, you know, all the companies that you see here and in, in here, we're, we've invited. You know, SIG is a big participant in, the, in, in that every year, and there's no, no different this year. Nice. Um, and there's uh, all the brands that you're used to seeing from Rainier will be there. Awesome. And will the whole thing be at that country club facility? Yeah, it will be at um, at Flint Oaks. Yep. Um, it's it's a it's a little ways away from Wichita, but it's worth a drive for you. Guarantee you. Nowhere else in the the Midwest are you going to be able to go and see 50 premier manufacturers that'll let you pick up their weapons, shoot them, and then talk to the to the uh, guy behind it right there on the spot well kind of like you were saying about shot I've been to shot once and it was neat but it was a zoo oh yeah and blade show for us is kind of like that I mean it's neat but we had a show that we used to hit in Chicago and it was really like all the best parts of blade there were a lot of knives but you didn't have all the weirdness going on and it was just quality and that's what this sounds like but you can't get in the shot. I mean, the average person can't really go to shot. Well, you yes, that's true. If well, you're playing this, by the rules. Yeah, but it's still, <laughs> there's hoops to jump through, and sure. it's it's an issue. Where this, I mean, if I want to go to this, I can just show up. Yeah, and we or, hope or get online and, and get tickets. And we hope you do. And we hope everyone that, that hears this and, and sees us come in and sees us. This is, this is not going away. We're going to do it here this year, and we're going to do it again next year. Is there any other show where you could do that? Just open to the general public. Uh, you know, uh, well, the NRA show is kind of, but they yeah, make you buy a, a membership when you walk through the door. Now, I only went to the NRA show once as well, and I, I drank the whole time. I don't remember a lot of it. Sure. <laughs> I don't remember and, much. And it doesn't help shooting. when they open up that they start serving beer at 12 there at most of the booths. Um, yeah, that's crazy. But I don't. It's a good show. I but, it, it was, but it was huge. Yeah. Too. I mean, I think that, like, 120 vendors or whatever. I mean, that sounds like a sweet spot where there's enough there. There's going to be something for everybody. Yep. But it's not overwhelming. Um, you know, where you feel like you can actually spend some time at each one of those. The right. ones that interest you and you're not missing out on anything. 
I just I think that's nice. There's something I think there's something neat about it not being just overwhelmingly large. One of the cool guns of that we're used to seeing now all over the place is a Sig three sixty five, right? It's a great carry gun, and I recommend that to a lot of people coming in the door that wants a full full size caliber, good magazine capacity, but in a small compact uh, frame. So that gun was uh, f- one of the first places you could see it was at TriggerCon. Oh. So Sig Sig brought that out for us, and we were able to to tell the public about it. It was really good. Yeah, that may be one of my next pickups. My FN, I like it a lot, but it's a little big for summertime. I carry a 365 XL when I'm not in this building. I carry a full-size gun in the building. But as soon as I leave the building, I go to a downsize a little bit. I can carry it in sweatpants, I can whatever. Yeah, it's just, it's neat, it's ergonomic, it's, you know, like you are saying, good magazine capacity. There's just a lot to like there. But along with TriggerCon, we have a VIP party that goes along with that. And that VIP party is um, to benefit a charity, normally. Uh, in the past, it was um, um, different veterans charities um, that were out there. We made thirty-five thousand to fifty thousand dollars per per night for that. This year, we're going to have it at Stearman Field, um, famous uh, airfield out there in Benton, Kansas. Yeah. And we're also going to, you know, it's going to benefit the charity that we sponsor, which is Resilient Warrior. And uh, we have a twenty-eight bedroom facility in Harper, Kansas, that we're trying to take veterans that are off, they're homeless on the street. And place them in a uh, uh, in the facility so they can uh, they can regather themselves and launch into society. So one more thing they don't have to worry about, right? Is where they're going to stay. Is it going to be warm tonight? Is right. it gonna, where they and then we provide um, all the amenities that you would think of a hotel room. They got lights and TV and the internet, all those things. Right, that's outstanding. So our our, our veterans charity will be um, the Resilient Warrior this year. I think so, Lance and I are looking for something to invest some time and. Yeah, the, the goal was, you know, I mean, none of us have a lot of money, but we do have, you know, some reaches through Instagram, Facebook, the 12 people that listen to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, we talked about getting together with some of our other friends that have some decent uh, reach on those things, too, and combining it. And, you know, let's pick a charity. And you know everybody throw in a buck or two. I mean, if you got more, do it. But you know, then if you could track that, then you could see it uh, building, right? So even though I throw in two bucks, you know, we end up raising sixty. You feel like you're doing something. Sure. And you can actually see where that's going. Right. So we're trying to figure out one that's uh, you know worthwhile and well, we will hopefully uh, pull the heartstrings of some folks. We purchased this apartment complex down in uh, Harper, and. Um, we're, we're, we have seven to eight in there at a time normally. We'd like to fill it up, but just getting the right veteran in there is the, is the issue, right? Yeah. Uh, making sure that um, we don't cause them any more damage by putting them in a, um, a location where they're isolated. or uh, So they, they need to be in a, in a launch mode when they get to us. Right. So we'd like to, if you guys want to participate in um, either VIP night uh, by... Um, we're gonna have a live and a silent auction there. I get to be in, I get to play an auctioneer for the night. <laughs> and I'm from rural Virginia, so it's right down my alley. So. There you go. We'll uh, see what we can do. We're gonna be in Salt Lake, though. That's fine. That blade show is. Uh, if you got the exact a, a knife that time. you can't sell, we'll. we'll, we'll oh no, we'll figure out about you'll either have sending something or someone down Great. for that. But that's 
I would love to be here for that. Because yeah. I just I'd heard about the TriggerCon thing, and I like that sounds super sounds like my people. Right. And you'll be surprised that um, I like the clientele there because you know we saw a lot of our cop buddies at the at TriggerCon when it was in the Northwest. We saw uh, tons of people bringing their families, like it was a Sunday outing for them, you know. So they're there, but it's it's a gun show without a gun show feel, and that's important for people to realize. I mean, they can go. There's other gun shows in this town where they can go there and pick through, you know, World War II memorabilia, knives from uh, from dubious sources, uh, some guy that's making good or not so good leather, and right. then, uh, <laughs> you know, all those things that are there. Right, some some lady selling candles. I always that always weirds me out at a gun show. Beeswax candles, right? Yeah, so goat soap, right? Which I actually kind of like. It's the chicken me, but I get it. Now you mentioned boutique earlier, and I think that that piqued my interest because we kind of think of ourselves as sort of a boutique brand. I had a buddy that told him we were coming down here for the podcast. He's like, take some pictures of the Gucci gear for me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I like that. I mean, I like the production side of this. That you know, we'll probably never make just thousands of anything. You know, we sure. like to keep it in tighter batches and then tweak it. Just like the LPCs are a bit different this round than they were last, and I think that that keeps it interesting and um, not necessarily more collectible. But it's just a little more dear that they're not ten thousand of them out there. Well, due to some technical difficulties, unfortunately, we were not able to capture about the last minute and a half of our talk with GW there. Um, We thanked him for having us down. They have a tremendous facility down there. If you guys are down in Wichita, you need to check out Rainier Arms and their Firearms Academy. It's top-notch stuff. It's really, really well put together, well thought out. Um, Hey, but rest assured, it was very riveting stuff. Thanks for listening. You know, we were rolling down to Wichita, and back for that matter, and while we were talking to GW, I think we covered a lot of things that we probably could have covered in future story times um but one thing that i'll touch on and this kind of goes back to we does anybody die in this story time todd a lot of your story times everyone dies in them not all of them but a lot of them you say that like you're appalled but you were there for most of them okay point taken (laughs) anyway it doesn't involve anybody dying but it it does involve somebody that has passed we talked about our buddy brad (laughs) so i was brad's fto and i tortured that poor kid i would uh i'd smoke cigars and I'd lock the windows so he couldn't he couldn't roll the windows down. And I made him listen to AM radio all the time. One day he was he just said, Lance, Lance, can we please just listen to one song? He said, I feel like my head is in a microwave oven. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Brad. G. Gordon Liddy's about to come on. We can't miss that. <laughs> and I used to tease him because his, his name tag was B. Lancaster, so we called him Bert all the time. Right. Which right. was fun. 
Yeah, he was funny. He was an entertaining cat. Yeah, I miss Brad a lot. I have some stories that I may share later on, but Brad and I, we were in, like, Brad and I pretty much worked side by side for a better part of 10 years. And we were in so many pursuits together that we never had to call out what either of us were going to do. We just knew right. what the other guy was going to do. And one of my favorite pursuits that I was in with him, I say favorite pursuit, everybody, all pursuits are my favorite pursuits. It's just fun chasing cars. Um, We were pursuing a active rolling meth lab. They were actively cooking while we were chasing them. That is awesome. It's not dangerous at all either. <laughs> There's just something. It's it's a bit depraved yet sort of cool. But we chased those guys. We chased them like through Weston. Those hilly ass tight cornered streets. Chased them all the way through Weston. They finally ended up going out uh highway and took off on one of the dirt roads out that way and finally stopped and uh tried to run on foot and that didn't work out for him so well but uh it wasn't until then when they stopped that we figured out that they were actively cooking what kind so, of vehicle was it what it was kind like of vehicle a, do you build a meth lab in it was, was one it of those van? no it was not a van one would think that it would be a van it probably would have been less conspicuous than a van it was a goddamn station wagon like one of the old remember the old family trucksters that had like the fake wood panels, wood panels. on it i yeah. could see them there's a lot of room in there yeah yeah spread your homemade chemistry kit out in it right these guys were going to town too you're at a car chase in parkville i've chased just on 45 i've never actually went through parkville in a car chase but just on 45 i was rolling into parkville and i did the split coming down nine right and then it splits again right Uh uh-huh where you got that elevated road and i I was on my way down to see john at cool vintage watches who's also a dealer by the way if you dig watches enter in the parkville area check him out knives booze, all kinds of man stuff. It's a great store. It is an awesome store. And a ton of watches, new and old. Uh, but I was like, a car chase through here would be kind of sweet. Because you could get some serious air if you went off right. the top portion. Right. I mean, that's got to be a good 15 feet above the roadway where it's just a single lane. Yes. Yeah. Was that Main Street that goes through there, I think? My, ge- my geography wasn't great when I was on the road. It's even worse now. <laughs> But yeah, I think that is, or it splits. Yeah, because it's nine the other way. So yeah, that's part of Maine. Well, you know, our friend Chad, um, who has since moved on from law enforcement, as a lot of our friends have, he got air in a pursuit. We were way, way up north on 45 High, up by Pat Steakhouse. The last... That's, what is, that uh, is the northern most region of the county. Yeah. So the last dirt road that runs off to the east before you get into Buchanan County. I can't remember that, but it goes over those railroad tracks. Okay. So yes. he he caught air off of there and he just there were thousands of like micro fractures in his front wrap. 
and of course you know the old captain babied those cars and was not happy steve uh steve kind of got in chad's ass a little chad, bit i need to talk to you about your driving yeah oh yeah <laughs> i fto'd phillips too yeah my favorite we turned around on some speeders and we caught them and it took a little effort to get up to him. And then they turned out to be from out of town. So I ended up just writing him a warning. And Chad was like, you realize we just drove 127 miles an hour to write a warning ticket? <laughs> like, yeah, I just felt like the right thing to do. One of my fastest, uh, fastest vehicles traveling that I actually got stopped was on 45 Highway. Um, guy stopped. Remember that old service station? Um that was used to be right there before you went back towards uh whatever it was at Bean Lake back there. Yeah. Um he stopped in there. I I checked him doing a hundred and hundred and seventeen, hundred and eighteen miles an hour coming down forty five. Uh he actually stopped for me. He didn't run on me and we uh had a conversation at his car of course and uh his rationale for driving that fast was that he was about to run out of gas, so he needed to get to a gas station very quickly. Well, I mean, it's somewhat flat through there. He got built up some momentum to coast. Right. Lovely. Um, yeah, that's uh, that was uh, a lot of stories came out today that you may or may not, if you're paying attention to the podcast here later on. And uh, we like to... Uh, you know, give some honor to uh, our buddy Brad, who uh, died in the line of duty. He's been gone for quite a while now. Yeah, it's been a minute. So, Good dude. All right, Todd, we've had an excellent day. We went on a vehicle road trip to southeastern Kansas, Wichita. We went on a musical road trip through the 90s, which I found fun it was nice reliving some of those songs yeah the flaming lips flaming lips dada burr or blur excuse me Ween. weezer ween uh filter a few other classics cracker cracker always good counting that, crows that made the trip home good and uh we want to thank the guys down at Rainier Arms and their training center for showing us around. Just an amazing facility. Yeah, those guys are awesome. I can't yeah. wait to go back. Good dudes. Great place. Really cool store. If you uh, are in that area, you should definitely check that out. It would be worth your time. Right. Also, speaking of checking out Rainier Arms, they do have some of our signature series knives left very very few like less than a handful so if you missed out on the signature series and you want a numbered signature series knife signature series has a lance's signature on it get with rainier arms um they have a they have a few left yeah and we'll uh each week we'll try and do a tally and figure out who has a few left because um, the new ones are here. So I imagine that other stuff ain't going to last long. Right.
We'd like to thank everybody for joining us on this road trip edition of Tactical Big Top, and we'll talk to you again next week. Be safe. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Tactical Big Top with Lance, Jag, and the Sideshow. Please like, subscribe, and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. You can also find us on IG, YouTube, and the Facebook.